Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, we've talked so much over the years about some of the ideas that we've developed here. I realize that it's it's scattered. It's a big, voluminous amount of stuff. And once in a while, it's it stays uh, it pays to stay on topic a little bit. And one of the things that I get a lot of questions, a lot of emails, a lot of uh, DMs about on social is the idea of flooded forests, creating a flooded forest themed aquarium, um, an igapo or an igarape, the two types of flooded forests. And I think it it's plays beautifully into what we do here and uh, it can create the basis for some really interesting aquariums. And I think it's time just to kind of revisit the whole idea, maybe on a little more concise basis. And we could just talk about that today and, and move into maybe some other ideas down the line on other types of aquariums, but this is a fundamental part of what we do. You know, land and water are more or less inexorably linked in the fish keeping hobby, much as they are in nature. And when you contemplate the dynamic of how water interacts with the environment, it makes us look at aquatic habitats and our aquariums a bit differently. And it all starts with rain. Weather is one of the most essential and life-giving processes on our planet. And one of its most important components is rain. Life is dependent upon it. Rainfalls are transformational and essential for our continued existence on Earth, just as they are for the fishes that we love and the places from which they come. What interests me about rain is what happens when it occurs in the wild habitats of the species that we keep in our aquariums. How do they change with the coming and going of the rainy seasons? And what can it teach us about our own man-made fish habitats? It's this question that lays the foundation for creating an aquarium based on these types of seasons. In the Amazon, for example, the rain has a huge impact on the, the fishes. Consider the wet season in the Amazon basis. It runs from November to June. It rains almost every day. But what does the rain actually do? Well, for one thing, rain performs the dual function of diluting organics while transporting more nutrients and materials throughout the ecosystem. So what happens in many of the regions of the Amazon is the evolution of our most compelling environmental niches. The water levels in the blackwater rivers and streams rise significantly, often several meters. And the once dry forest floor fills with water from the torrential rain and the overflowing rivers and streams. This is how the agapos, the local term for flooded blackwater forest floors, are formed. The formerly terrestrial habitat is transformed into this earthy, twisted, incredibly rich aquatic habitat, which fishes have evolved over eons to live in and utilize for food, protection, and for spawning areas. The botanical materials, the shrubs, the grasses, the fallen, fallen leaves, branches, seed pods, all that stuff, are suddenly submerged. Often currents redistribute the leaves and the seed pods and branches into little pockets and little stands, affecting the now underwater topography of the landscape. Leaves begin to accumulate. Soils dissolve their chemical constituents, the tannins, the humic acids into the water, thus enriching it. Then in turn, various fungi and microorganisms begin to feed on and break down these materials. Biofilms form and crustaceans multiply rapidly. Fishes, which race in from the nearby overflowing streams, are able to find new food sources, new hiding places, and new areas to spawn. Life flourishes. The rains have a huge impact on tropical aquatic ecosystems, and it's important to think of the relationship between the terrestrial habitat and the aquatic one when visualizing the possibilities of replicating nature in your aquarium in this context. It's an intimate, interdependent sort of arrangement. Some parts of these forests may be submerged for almost half a year, 
A huge proportion of the Amazon River's system's water is in these agapos. They're precious, diverse natural treasures, and replicating one in the home aquarium is a wonderful way to learn more about them and the processes that create them. So let's talk about the agapo-themed aquarium. For years, I thought about how interesting it would be to create an aquarium around the seasonal changes that occur in this habitat. And that was the basis of what I've taken to calling the urban agapo concept, starting out with a dry terrestrial habitat and gradually flooding it to simulate the rainy season inundations that these habitats go through every year. I've done this whole cycle now many, many times in a wide variety of aquariums, experimenting with various aspects like soil composition, planting, fish stocking, and other variables along the way. It's become one of my favorite little projects in the uh, Botanical Method Aquarium hobby, and I hope to inspire more of you to play with the idea yourselves. By attempting to replicate the seasonal cycle of inundation, we can gain new insights into these really dynamic natural habitats and a new understanding of how our fishes are tied to them. It's different and challenging, and it's fascinating. The idea of flooding a fish tank set up as an Amazonian forest floor biotope aquarium and then replicating some of the processes that happen seasonally in nature, creating a true year-round habitat stimulation in the confines of an aquarium or a vivarium has never been more attainable. I suppose that on the surface, it's hardly, you know, an earth-shattering approach. You set up an aquarium, but you don't fill it with water right away. You instead add a mixture of soil and conventional aquarium sands, grow some terrestrial plants and grasses and allow them to take hold. Then you bring on the rainy season by flooding it and adding fish. A few months later, you begin drawing down the water significantly, ultimately returning it to its dry season state. Then you repeat the whole cycle as many times and at whatever frequency you desire. It's not really difficult. The process mimics the dry start method that many aquatic plant enthusiasts utilize. Except that the goal isn't to start plants for a traditional aquarium, it's to replicate on some levels the year-round dry season, wet season dynamics of the Amazonian forests. While some of you may be familiar with that dry start method for planted tanks that's been around for a few years, we're taking a slightly different approach here. I favor immersion-tolerant terrestrial plants and grasses grown from seed to start the cycle. You can also utilize some immersion-tolerant aquatic plants in your agapo setup. I've done this quite a few times with a lot of success. The added benefit is that they'll typically look as good in the terrestrial phase as they do in the aquatic phase. Of course, you could also use riparian-type plants like sedges, sweet flag, also known as acarus, and plants like that, which can tolerate or even require immersion in very moist soils for long-term health and growth. Some species of these plants are indeed found in such environments in nature, so it goes without saying that you should experiment with them in the aquarium as well. You'd need to gradually flood the rainforest floor of your Amazonian biotope aquarium, which would be accomplished you know, manually by simply pouring water into the tank over a series of days, or automatically with solenoids and controlling valves from a reservoir beneath the setup, or perhaps even employing the misting system that you know frog hobbyists use if you're into technical solutions. There's all kinds of things you can do. It's all very, very achievable, even for hobbies like me who have practically no DIY skills. You just have to innovate and be willing to do a little extra work. You can keep it incredibly simple and just utilize a small tank. I've done that many times, but you got to be patient. More enjoyable, uh, you know, more than an enjoyable hobby within a hobby. An agapo aquarium is also a dynamic system that we can and should learn more about as aquarists. When we flood an aquarium and allow it to... Uh, then allow it to dry, attempting to replicate that wet and dry seasonal cycle, we have to figure out how to manage a number of different dynamics, ranging from varying levels of nutrients to nitrogen cycles to fish stocking and removing. The seasonal dynamic is broad-reaching and multifaceted in the aquarium, just as, as it is in nature, and it's not just for its unique aesthetics, of course. 
As the display is flooded, the materials in the formerly terrestrial environment become submerged as they do in nature, releasing nutrients, humic substances, and tannins, and thus creating a rich, dynamic habitat for fishes. Again, we have the opportunity to recreate you know, aspects of this process in both form and function. Replicating the seasonal change is not complicated, or is it not, nor is it difficult. It only requires some active management, some planning, and some diligence. On the surface, though, executing it is no more challenging than some of the other aquatic systems we as hobbyists set up and maintain. So when you flood it, you'll have to make provision for relocating any frogs or other terrestrial dwelling inhabitants of your system, move them to higher ground, you know, a vivarium or whatever during the wet season, or you can create a paludarium type setup with both the terrestrial and aquatic components simultaneously. That's definitely a possibility. As I've mentioned before, you'll have to deal with some aesthetic challenges as you flood the system. The turbidity, the biofilms, the decomposition, the deeply tannin state water, all kinds of stuff that floats up. Stuff that we as botanical method aquarium enthusiasts are already pretty well trained to accept and embrace, right? You can even represent various phases of the inundation as I've done in some of my aquariums. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's remarkably simple uh, and remarkably similar to what you see in nature during the latter part of the inundation cycle when the terrestrial vegetation is largely dormant and only lingering turbidity and a smattering of you know living vegetation remains the possibilities for education creative expression and experimentation are wide open here so this rather unorthodox wet season dry season approach to keeping an aquarium might leave a lot of you with questions so i'll try to address some of the common ones that i get um, sort of one by one here now a lot of people say ask me scott what size aquarium do you need to do this you could use just about any size of aquarium. Most of my little executions have been in smaller tanks, but of course you can scale this up to medium and large aquariums. The concept and the implementation are essentially the same. The biggest challenge, in my opinion, is embracing the fact that you might set up a large tank that might have I mean, fishes in it for months. You just need a little patience. Uh, the other question people ask a lot is, do the grass and the plants that you've grown in the dry season survive this inundation? Well, here's a good answer for you. Well, some do and some don't. I know that's not helpful. I've used grasses in my setups that are immersion tolerant, such as paspalum or bahia grass. This stuff will hang around for a while, submerged for about a month and a half, maybe two months in my experience, before it ultimately kind of gives in. Sometimes it'll come back when the dry season returns. However, when it doesn't survive, it decomposes in the now aquatic substrate and adds to the biological diversity by cultivating fungi and bacteria. It's a cycle of life thing, right? You could use a lot of plants that are repairing in nature to, or, or capable of growing immersed, uh, such as my favorite, uh, Acarus, uh, as well as plants like, you know, Pennywort, uh, Hydrocotyl, which I always say wrong, uh, sword plants, you know, Echinodorus. You could even do plants from outside the Amazon, such as Cryptocarine. These can, of course, survive the traditional transition between the aquatic and terrestrial environments. And then, of course, a lot of people ask me, what kind of fishes can I keep in these systems? Well, I've kept many different types of fishes in these setups, particularly annual killifishes and small kerosens. For biotopes outside the Amazon, guarmies and betas work well, as do annual killies from Africa. There's lots of possibilities, as you're certainly not limited to the agapo and the varzea, which is a whitewater flooded forest in South America. There's all kinds of similar habitats around the world that you could replicate on some level. You could mimic all sorts of geographical cows and niche habitats, including those found in Africa and Southeast Asia, such as temporal pools and seasonal streams. Annual killifish would be another beneficiary of this type of a system with the ability to literally desiccate their environment for the dry season and flood it once again to simulate the return of the rains. I've done this before, and it's amazing to see killifish come out of this dry, formerly dry environment and start swimming around. 
we kind of do that already, right? With the old peat moss in a bag trick to incubate killifish eggs. The hobby's been doing that for a century now. This is just a little more interesting and granted somewhat more complicated, but it's also a method that might yield some interesting insights into the natural habitats and the behaviors of our annual killifishes. It's certainly not for controlled breeding experiments where you're trying to get maximum hatches and hatch rates and so forth, but it's an interesting insight into the lifestyle. Another question people ask me is, do I have to have a dry season? Well, the whole idea of this particular approach is to replicate as faithfully as possible the seasonal wet and dry cycles that occur in these habitats. And it starts with a drier terrestrial environment managed as such for an extended period of time, which is gradually flooded to simulate the inundation that occurs when the rainy season commences and swollen rivers and streams overflow into the forest or the grassland. So yeah, that's kind of the theme. I think you should have a dry season, but whatever. How long should the dry season last? Well, if you want to mimic one of these habitats in the most realistic manner possible, follow the exact wet and dry seasons that you'd encounter in the locale that you're inspired by. Alternatively, if you'd like to extend the wet season to give your fish more time in their tank, I'd go for at least two months to dry to encourage a nice growth of grasses and plants prior to the next inundation. Now, how much of a mess does it make when you flood the tank? I get asked this all the time. Doesn't the water quality decline rapidly? When you add water to what's essentially a terrestrial planter box, you're going to get cloudiness from the sediment and all the other stuff that's present in the substrate. You're also likely going to have clumps of grasses and other botanical materials floating around for a while. But surprisingly, in my experience, the water quality stays remarkably good for aquatic life. I'm not saying that it's all pristine and crystal clear. However, if you let things settle a bit before you add your fishes, the water clears up and a surprising amount of life emerges, including various infusoria and other small microbial life forms. Curiously, I have not recorded ammonia or nitrite spikes following the inundation. That being said, you can and should test your water before adding fishes. You can dose bacterial inoculations into the water if you think that's going to help. Now, people also ask me, should I use a filter in the wet season sky? Well, you certainly can. I've gone both ways, using a small internal filter or a sponge filter in some instances. I've gone with the simple air stone even. Most of the time, quite honestly, I don't use any filtration. I just conduct partial water exchanges like I would in any other tank. And although I take care not to disturb the substrate too much if I can help it. Uh, now, when I go to larger uh, tanks, I probably feel that it's necessary to incorporate a filter, although I've done some you know, 10, 15 gallon tanks without a filter, but probably at, once you get to that size, you, you may want to use a filter if you're going to keep it wet for extended periods of time. It, and really, it's all about experimentation. I mean, all sorts of fun variations are possible with this whole flooded forest idea. Remember, it's about experimentation, studying, observing, and replicating a natural process in the aquarium to the best of our capabilities. Artistic liberties are not only allowable, they're largely the whole point of this type of project. The ongoing experimentation, the mental shifts it causes you to make, combined with the established norms of botanical method aquarium keeping, all of these aspects come together to make the agapo-themed aquarium a unique, enjoyable, and educational experience for fish keepers with enough sense of adventure and curiosity to just try it for themselves. I hope I've at least uh, touched on some of the more popular ideas that we discuss here and some of the more um, pressing questions that you have on establishing these types of setups. If you have more, just feel free to hit me up here or uh, you can email me at tanninaquatics at gmail.com and I'm happy to talk about them with you. Again, I think this is something that we should all experiment with once in a while in our botanical method aquarium careers. This urban agapo idea is pretty cool, it's pretty fun, and it's pretty educational. Anyway, till next time, stay inspired, stay curious, 
stay methodical, stay enthusiastic, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenet Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.